Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Today, I'm going to cover Moses Among the Idols, Mediators of the Divine in the Ancient Near East. Well, this is my 17th book for 2023, and it is the book that I paired with the Enuma Elish. So for this great books project, for each of the great books, I have a book that I'm pairing with it for the purpose of gathering greater context for that great book or just learning more, maybe learning more about the author, the time period, that sort of thing. So this, this uh, the Enuma the Elish is the, the Babylonian creation epic, and it is book five for my great books project. And so Moses Among the Idols, the book I'm covering here, is the book I paired with it. It ended up being a fantastic pairing. There were a lot, a lot of connection points, some of which I'll get into in this episode. So this book, Moses Among the Idols, presents a new way to consider the Moses story, and it's one that interacts with ancient Near Eastern texts, specifically texts about idols. This book was written by Dr. Amy Below, and her thesis is that Moses was Yahweh's idol. Moses was Yahweh's idol. Yahweh is the the name of God in the Hebrew Bible, so Moses was God's idol. That may sound like a very strange thing to say, especially when you look at the Bible's treatment of idols. But here's where the inquiry originates for this book. It comes from the beginning of Exodus 7, uh, so kind of the, the end of Exodus 6 into Exodus 7, chapter 7. And so I'm going to read this little portion here. And it came to pass on the day when Yahweh spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, I am Yahweh. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. And Moses said before Yahweh, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken to me? And Yahweh said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. I'll stop reading there. So the key things I want to point out here, uh, Moses, God says, you know, do this. Moses said, I am un, I am of uncircumcised lips. And I've always thought that is the strangest thing to say. Uncircumcised lips. Uh, uncircumcision usually refers to another part of the body, not the lips. And so that's just such a weird turn of phrase. And, and I'm, I'm reading uh, the Bible that I read at the beginning of this year, and I even made a note of it at that, that this is such a weird phrase, you know, what, what's happening here. And then for it to go from, I am uncircumcised of lips to Yahweh saying to Moses, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. What in the heck just happened there? That's, that's what this book is getting into. And it, it's the crux of this book. So what caused that transformation? Uh, how are we to understand that transformation of being uncircumcised of lips? So first off, what in the heck does that even mean? And then secondly, uh, that, that Moses would be as God to Pharaoh. And as Amy, Dr. Amy Below says in this book, it's not even, it, it shouldn't even be written as God to Pharaoh, but that uh, I have made you God to Pharaoh. So that's that's what's going on here. Let's set the stage. So let's take a, a, a quick step back. The context of what where this happens within the story of Exodus. Moses has already met with Pharaoh at this point, and it did not go well. Uh, Moses 
through the spokesperson of Aaron. They they meet with Pharaoh, and after that, Pharaoh increases the workload for the Hebrews. This makes the Hebrew people, uh, uh, they become upset with Moses. And so Moses realizes that something needs to to happen, that something needs to change. And and Moses realizes he needs a change in status. And so that is what Amy is doing in this book. She is looking at the story of Moses and comparing it to ancient Near Eastern texts about idols and uses the idea of status change as the connection point to compare Moses and idols. So she's looking at texts that deal with idols. What happens with an idol? An idol is this inanimate object. It goes through this process and then it becomes it becomes a manifestation of the God on earth. Uh, what what is happening through that process? How 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 would how should we understand that process? And then how does that compare to what happens here, where Moses goes from uncircumcised of lips to God to Pharaoh? That's that's what we're going to cover. And so in this episode, I'll cover the ramifications and what that means, mainly in the next segment. But uh, I, I just find it fascinating that this whole inquiry is brought about by looking at texts from the ancient Near East. So let me read from page 24 of the book here quickly. From the perspective of the biblical audience living in Babylonian exile, the context of Babylon may have been shared geographically, but religiously it was completely other. In response, the biblical authors distinguished their traditions and theologies in contradistinction to the surrounding milieu with great creativity and ingenuity. The biblical authors did not take Yahweh on procession through city and step, which would have been inconsistent with their theological views, but they did tell stories. They did write, and they did share these materials, thus solidifying the memory of Yahweh and the idolatrous function of his intermediary, Moses, end quote. So I, I love that. I put a huge star by that, that in response. So this, Amy is, uh, Dr. Amy Below is trying to get us to think of this story, this Exodus story, in response to the context of Babylon. So the the ex- Exodus is being compiled in Babylon. It's being compiled during the exile. So the people of Judah have been exiled to Babylon, and they're seeing they're seeing all all of these idols around them. They're seeing. They're seeing all this, and and so what Dr. Below is saying here is that part of this is a response to what the people would have been seeing around them, and they would have understood the concept of idols and and what that would have entailed, and so this this is being presented in that way, and and I love this. Uh, This has been a big shift for me this year, just in thinking about the Bible in the sense that I I brought this up in in other episodes, but without ever really thinking about it, I I just assumed the Bible was the first book in the sense that I, I, you know, even the, the, the language in the beginning. So instead of other things deriving from the Bible, or that that's I guess just without even giving it much thought, that's that's the assumption I would have had. But just in reading this year, whether that was Gilgamesh and realizing here's a story a thousand years before the Bible's compiled, about at least a thousand years, and there's a flood story in Gilgamesh. Uh, what do we do with that? So 
is the Bible just simply copying this deluge story, this flood story? Uh, What's happening? And, and what, what I saw in that is that the, the biblical writers are talking about things that are in the, the atmosphere, talking about stories that are in the atmosphere, but giving a, a, a different perspective or a different way of looking at them. So if you read the, the deluge story in Gilgamesh, the reason for that deluge and then the ramifications after the deluge are different than what you're going to find in the story of Noah, the flood story of Noah. So I, that's been a big shift for me. I, I just never, I guess, even considered that there were things before that perhaps the Bible was, was responding to. And I like that. I, I like that idea. And, and here it shows up again as uh, this, this story of Moses being presented in, in that context. And if it is presented in that context, can that help us understand more about the Moses story? Can it, can it put things in a different light? And I think it can. And specifically in areas I've had questions, just personally, I've had questions about the, the, the Moses story. And those are in three main areas. So I'm going to just quickly mention them, but then I'll, I'll dig into them in, in the next segment. The first is just this face-to-face thing. So there's uh, on the same exact page in Exodus, there is a statement that Moses met with God face-to-face. And, and I'll read the exact statement in the next segment, but met with God face-to-face. And then just a few paragraphs later, it's no one can, can something along the lines of no one can see the face of God and live. So what what's going on there? Moses talks with God face-to-face, but no one can see God God's face and live. Uh, that Those seem like very diametrically opposed items. What, what's happening? Number two, just the golden calf. What in the world is that? Like that just seems to come out of left field. Uh, the, the, the people of the children of Israel, they've, they've escaped from Egypt and all of a sudden they just make a calf because a golden calf, because Moses is gone for a while. It just seems so out of the blue, but this reframing of the story kind of puts that in, in more context. And then the third thing is, uh, I took a trip to Italy in 2004 and I saw a statue that Michelangelo had done of Moses and Moses had horns. And I thought that was, was pretty odd. And the more I read about it, I, I, I heard that, well, perhaps this was a mistranslation, and uh, instead of horns, it should have just been like radiance. And uh, but you know, how do you sculpt radiance? Um, uh, th- there's ways to do it, but uh, Michelangelo had a. Basically, my understanding was that Michelangelo had a bad uh, translation of the Bible, and so he gave Michelangelo horns. I thought that was really odd and, and silly. And look at these silly people from 500 years ago. But. Uh, now I'm, I'm kind of coming back to that horns thing. And so that's also discussed in this book in terms of, of idols and, and just kind of what was going on culturally at the time as well. So I'll get into those three things, the, the issue of face to face, the golden calf, and then did Mike, did, uh, not Michelangelo, did Moses have horns? So, uh, 
some fun stuff coming up here in segment two. I first heard about this book on a podcast interview with the author, and and that was on the OnScript podcast. So I will link to that in the show notes, and then you can hear directly from that that author. That was a really interesting episode. And I and this book was also suggested by Dr. Jason Staples. Uh, so it was one one I wanted to pick up after after. I heard that episode and then and then after Dr. Staples suggested it as well. As for reading stats, this is a 195-page book. It took me seven hours and 32 minutes to read it. That was over nine days, and I averaged 22 pages per day. Uh, I, I like to track these things. I know that's nerdy, but one, it just gives you an idea of how long this book might take you to read. I am a slow reader, and so you could probably even get through it a, a lot faster than than the time it took me. One reason it took me so long to get through it is, is it was so interesting, but just so dense too, that that it just took me a long time to, to read through it. And I took it slowly and, and all that. So I read it between May 15 and 23. So next segment, let's dig in a little deeper here into what all of this means. All right, in segment one, I said the crux of the book centered around that question of how are we to understand the transformation of Moses from a man of uncircumcised lips to a god to Pharaoh. Well, Dr. Amy Below says the best way to understand this is to look at some ancient Babylonian texts, two in particular, and these were found in Ashurbanipal's library, and the publication of these texts were just released in 2001. Which is just astonishing to think that that these had been lost for thousands of years, and and we're we're just getting access back to them. Um, a, a lot of these texts, access and, and just even understand of uh, understanding of the cuneiform writing just in the past two hundred years. So a lot of this is is coming back after being lost for a while. But these texts in particular that that uh, Amy below looked at deal with idols and. Idols are God's representatives on earth, and it must be pure. In order to be pure, it must go through these ceremonies that are called the Miss P and the, the Pit P ceremonies. And, and so those are the, the texts that, that are, are being considered here. And the Miss P is, is a purification uh, ritual. And so I'll just read a little bit here of what goes into that. The overall concern of the ritual is to purify the idol's mouth in preparation for the opening of the mouth, the final act which signifies the idol's preparedness for life in the divine community. So that's the Miss P, the, the first part of it, of the, of the purification. So basically what that does, it, t- it takes, uh, so the idol would be made from this uh, this wood that was considered divine, and then it would go through this this purification process. The second step was the pit pee, which means the opening of the mouth. And here's some some parts about that. This is the climax of the transformative process and the moment at which an idol changes from one who holds divinity to one who transmits divinity. It is not enough for the idol to have divine origins. Uh, it it must also become the conduit of the divine if the idol is to meet the destiny for which it, it is birthed. And then the the last part here, the moment of the divine word into the earthly realm through the mouth of the mediator is perhaps the most important element of the mediatory office, regardless of whether that mediator is an idol or a person like Moses, end quote. So we've got the opening of the mouth, which 
is 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 so interesting too in that when I was reading about Egypt, that was book two for the Great Books Project, uh, the writings of ancient Egypt. A lot of that talked about this this idea of opening of the mouth. And in that that context, it was when a pharaoh had died. And so the pharaoh would be in his tomb and uh, as part of this process of the pharaoh kind of resurrecting into the new life there the priests would would conduct the ceremony called the opening of the mouth so that that's in egypt but this opening of the mouth ceremony was also happening in mesopotamia as well and and in babylon and and they would do it with these these idols so that's what dr below is is comparing to the Moses story. If, if we're looking at an idol, that it has to go through this purification and opening of the mouth process. So how does that relate to circumcision or circumcision of the lips? So the the language of what we're what we see along with circumcision in the Bible is that was the act that set the children of Israel apart. And it was tied to the covenant, but that that's what set things apart. And one of the key features of that is that it is a permanent act. Uh, you are circumcised, you, 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 you don't go back to being uncircumcised. Once you're circumcised, you are circum, you're, you're circumcised, and it's permanent. So the connection to the opening of the mouth when, when, Mo, when, when it says, when Moses says, I'm uncircumcised of lips, uh, the connection is that this, this is for a person. So instead of this opening of the mouth ceremony as, uh, that you would have for an idol, it w- for Moses, it had to be a circumcision of the, of the lips. And here's, uh, here's what Dr. Below says about that. The metaphor of uncircumcised lips puts a characteristically Yahwistic spin on the ancient nearest, Near Eastern idea that a mouth needed to be pure and open in order to act as the mouthpiece of the divine end quote. Uh, one, one idea of this opening of the mouth is, is a two-part process where the, the opening of the mouth was one, to, to be able to consume the sacrifices, but then also to be the mouthpiece for the divine. So there, there's those two ideas going out with that opening of the mouth. But you take it kind of this, this, this other step with, with relating it to circumcision and, and Moses, and, and that's, that's what, it, what it was talking about. So biblical authors, uh, they would have had an, a, a working knowledge of idols and what they meant. They, they probably would not have had access to these texts that Dr. Below was looking at, just because these would have been in the priestly realm, and you just, you just don't walk into a temple and, and get access to these uh, these tablets, uh, but they they would have had an, a, a a general understanding of of what idols were and what made them so so compelling. Uh, so the presentation of Moses as an idol, it it would have been compelling to the audience, but it it's also very tricky because there in the Bible there are clear prohibitions against idols and idolatry, and there's also only one God. So Moses couldn't become. God, God, he he could just be God to Pharaoh, and let me read a little part of about this. 
Interpreting Moses as a god, even if only to Pharaoh, poses a threat to the idea of a single cosmic deity, the first commandment, and a fair amount of Moses' own teachings as they are presented in the Pentateuch. Calling Moses God is inconsistent with much of what Moses himself says about proper worship and religion. Yet Moses' status as God over the God King becomes evident when Pharaoh's firstborn is struck dead and his char- charioteers are drowned in the sea. Uh, Moving on to the next part, the logical inconsistency is why it is helpful, even necessary to describe Moses in terms of an idol. The comparison between Moses and ancient Mesopotamian idols helps to reconcile the God language of Exodus 7.1, the function of Moses' status change within the narrative, and the religious values the authors of the Pentateuch will later espouse, end, end quote. And so the way around this is that God made Moses his idol. And this distinguished Moses from the other idols because all those other idols would have been at first a piece of wood or, or some sort of inanimate object, and yet Moses was a person. So that's kind of the big distinguishing factor. And so instead of the opening of the mouth ceremony, you, you have the circumcision of the lips. There, there's something else going on here, and it's an actual living person as opposed to just an object that, uh, uh, that becomes the idol. Now I want to talk about uh, uh, kind of the common understanding of, of the Moses story, what, what you'll usually see and in, in kind of how I viewed it for, for most of my life, and then what Dr. Below is, is proposing as a, as a, a kind of enhanced or, or perhaps different way of, of viewing it. And what's, what's great is that, that this doesn't mean the, the original way that, that it's, it's been thought of is wrong. Uh, this looking at it this way just kind of provides a little more context, a little more cultural context, and a, and a little more of perhaps the biblical authors responding to the the cultural atmosphere of the time. And so let, let me just go through these. There are, there are four main items here. So the first one is is the common understanding is that Moses had some sort of a physical ailment or a fear of speaking. And so that's why God had to intervene to to give him the ability to 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 speak. And I mean this comes straight from the text. It's not like some theory uh Moses complains that he that he's that he's not good with with uh with speaking and and so people have thought well maybe he didn't know the language well, or, or he had a stutter, or something like that, um, and so so that's kind of the, the the main line of thought there. But had that been the case, then then Moses wouldn't have needed Aaron, and Aaron would have solved that problem because Aaron was the spokes spokesperson for for Moses. So that's one side of it. And then uh, what Dr. Below says is that what Moses had was not this physical ailment or fear. What he had was a status problem. And let me read uh, a portion here of, of kind of what that gets into. Moses does try to confront Pharaoh, but since he has not undergone initiation into a status from which he is capable of acting and speaking on behalf of Yahweh's covenant promise, his word operates as an enemy against promise and people alike, rather than as an effective intermediary who brings those promises into fulfillment and the people into freedom, end quote. So the, the what Dr. Below says is 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 the problem was not a stutter or or some ailment. Uh, the the problem was that Moses did not have the correct status, uh, and so going before Pharaoh as a non god or th- that that just wouldn't work. And and I saw this all the time in in my 
reading of uh, uh, earlier this year, great book two was Writings of Ancient Egypt. And then and then I read uh, a number of other books about ancient Egypt. I just became very fascinated with, with it. But you, you see there that the Pharaoh was was a god-like person. I mean, there, you're, some person is not just going to go in front of Pharaoh and... and, and make things happen like there 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 he would have had to have been on the same level and so that's kind of what this is is presenting uh second thing is the burning bush and dr below says this about the the burning bush uh the burning so the text does indeed support the uh this scholar's assertion that the burning bush event establishes god's presence in and with moses so that uh end quote so that's kind of the that's dr below's uh thoughts on it the the common thinking on the burning bush is that is the that's the turning point in moses's life is uh kind of uh getting in being in the in the presence of 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 God in, uh, in, in, in the form of this burning bush. And so y- you look at the life of Moses in, in most people will point to that as being the turning point. What Dr. Below here is doing is saying, no, the, the turning point is when there was a status change from uncircumcised of lips to God, to Pharaoh, that was the turning point. That's when things shifted, uh, it, it, as opposed to the burning bush. Three, a lot of the translations, even the translation I read in segment one of uncircumcised of lips to as God to Pharaoh, you, you notice the word as. So in, in a lot of the translations, you'll see that that he, um, Moses was like a God to Pharaoh or Moses w- was as a God to Pharaoh. And what Dr. Below here is saying is, is, is something different. Uh, she says this. Moses is relieved of his uncircumcised lips and, as a result, becomes God to Pharaoh. Not like God or as God, but God. And Moses' first confrontation with Pharaoh proves he must become a God with no modifiers in order to accomplish his mission. End quote. So that, that's a big distinction. Uh, and and it, it, it would allow you to kind of just read through that passage without thinking about it a lot, because being like God or being as God is a lot different than being God to Pharaoh. And, and so this reading of it, uh, in this context of, of what, what we're talking about with, with looking at it as an idol, that, that allow that, that makes sense of that. And the last way of understanding the story here is in the name of Moses and what it means. And so if, if we go to the, to Exodus Two, we see Moses being pulled out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter says this, uh, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she called his name Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. And so Dr. Below talks about that in the sense that the, the Hebrew of that would, I guess the Hebrew word would mean that uh, drawing drawing from from the water but she said it has the form that it was he who draws or he who is drawing which 
would would make it a bit difficult because uh, with Moses being an, inf an infant, it would be hard for him to draw himself out of the water, and it also doesn't fit with the narrative where Pharaoh's daughter has has drawn him out of out of the water. So that that's the first thing. Uh, the second part of that is that uh, it was an Egyptian who drew him out of the water, so an Egyptian probably wouldn't have have used uh, that that term. Next up. Uh, Doctor Below looks at some of the other way the uh, the other terms of of Moses or or similar terms in in other languages. So she looks at Akkadian, uh, what would have been spoken in in uh, in Mesopotamia, and so the the name Moses there means he who is washed and pure, and it can mean to ritually wash and pure and, and um, and purify. Next up, to add another layer, I, I'm going to read a section here. To add another layer to this under this understanding of Moses in chapter one, I mentioned that the Akkadian Mesu, often Mesu, re refers to the Mesu tree whose wood was used for the core of idols, especially those of Marduk. This is the species spoken of as a cosmic tree connecting heaven and earth, and considered both pure and divine in nature. Mesu also comes from the Sumerian mes, which has a double meaning of either mesu tree or princely young man, an epithet which applies only to this tree and to Marduk, chief god of the city of Babylon. And then a little later on, Thanks to the various applications of the Akkadian cognate Mesu, including its con connection to the popular god Marduk, it is now possible to re-describe Moses as he who is washed pure, in a way that re renders him analogous to idols. The, the new et 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 etymology also suggests that the biblical authors may have craft crafted this Moses-idol comparison with the idol of a specific god, Marduk, as the rhetorical target. Moses' status as God to Pharaoh is not yet complete, as one outstanding issue remains. He may be washed pure, but this de designation is irrelevant because his lips are not circumcised. Moses' speech has yet to affect change on behalf of the covenant community, end quote. So th that I, I know I read a lot there, but there, there are kind of th three, three different names. And so, it, so there's one that to draw him out of the water. Dr. Below says, let's, let's look at some other options. And the other options are, uh, if, if we travel over to Mesopotamia, we see that this word could mean richly wash and, and purify, but then it also connects to the god Marduk. And this is where we, we start connecting to the Enuma Elish, the creation epic from, from Mesopotamia, from Babylon. And the god Marduk plays a huge role role in that. He's the chief god of the city of Babylon as well. And so also we, we learn about the when these idols are made, they are made from this Mesu tree. So just the connection between all of that and, and that being uh, uh, connecting to the, the name of Moses kind of gives that other push to that this there might be something there might be something more going on here than than what what meets the eye. So uh, I, those are kind of four areas just where there's this, this common understanding of the, of the story of Moses. Here are some, some different ways to look at it from Dr. Below. So let's go through a few similarities, a few differences, and then I want to read a, a section that just kind of sums it all up. So similarities, uh, idols bridge the gap between humanity and the divine. That is the purpose of idols in Babylon, and that is the purpose of 
Moses. Moses is to bridge the gap between the human and the divine. The op- the uh, other similarity, there's the opening of the mouth ceremony, there, and, and that's kind of what we see in that um, that uncircumcised of lips to being circumcised of lips uh, conducted by God on Moses. There's this idea of a rebirth from one state to another. So the the ceremonies that are described in the text text that Doctor Below looks at. Uh, that that's the point. You're, this idol, it, there's a rebirth from one state to another. And then the sign of this rebirth is that there's this uncontrollable glow that radiates, radiates from the face of the mediator. And I'll get into more, I'll get into that a little bit more, uh, just, just in a little bit, but, uh, just keep that in mind for a little, for, for a minute. Uh, here, here are some differences. So, uh, the main one, I, I, I mentioned before is just that with with Babylonian idols, we're talking about a wood idol or, or some other object, and with Moses, we're talking about a person. The other big, and this is a, a, a huge difference, is that in these texts that Dr. Below is looking at, the idol could lose its status. So it could it could it could have this rebirth from one state to another, but if it was not maintained by the priests, the idol could lose that status, and then over time, it would it would not it would not be an idol anymore. Contrasted with Moses, where that change was permanent, that status change was permanent. The status change for Moses was not just for Pharaoh and his his interactions with Pharaoh; it it went the rest of his life. And there's a section here towards the end of the book that that just kind of sums it all up. So let me read read this quickly. Moses's status is not unique in the ancient Near East, but rather it is common among idols. Where Moses's status is distinct is within the text of the Hebrew Bible and among human beings. End quote. So again that him being a human being that is the main distinction here. I mentioned before that this Reading this, uh, looking at it in a different way helped me to understand three areas that I had questions in before. If you have listened to this podcast for a while, if you listen to some of the previous episodes, there's uh, what I what I try to do now is to read to start each year reading the Bible, and so I did that in 2020, and then I did it again this year, 2023, and so I just take January and February, just read straight through Genesis to to Revelation, and. Uh, after that, I then have uh, scholar Dr. Jason Staples on, and I just ask him ten or so questions that that come up during that reading of the Bible. And I remember in in 2020, one of my one of my questions was about Moses, because you've got this section where very closely together it says Yahweh spoke to Moses face to face, and then very shortly after it says You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So what is it? I, I don't understand how this works. And, and if if people cannot see the face of God and live, then why do we just two paragraphs before that see Yahweh spoke to Moses face to face? That seems to be an irreconcilable difference. It seems to be a problem. But if we view it in that that sense of Moses was not a regular person, he was the idol of Yahweh. Uh, Moses was able to speak face to face. It just it gives a different twist on on that idea, and it, it 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 helps to reconcile those those two 
verses that are quite close together. The next thing is a golden calf. Golden calf always seemed very odd to me that uh, the children of Israel, they've, they've escaped Egypt. They've gone through through the sea. The sea's parted. There's all these amazing things happening. And then Moses is gone for a while, and then they they melt their jewelry, and they make this golden calf, and Aaron is kind of overseeing all of it. It just seems so odd, but if Moses is presented as an idol or as, an, as a god, and you look at the, the gods and the imagery of Mesopotamia and, and the prevalence of bulls, there's a closer connection there to where, oh, okay, Moses, the bull, not that he was a bull, but but the the this idea, uh, okay, Moses the bull is gone. Let's make a calf. That's that's kind of like him, right? Uh, th- there's a lot closer connection than just this. Why the heck did they just all of a sudden make a golden calf? Uh, so that that helped in that se- sense as well. The last thing is just this this horns idea. So the Michelangelo statue of Moses, he's got horns. Did he have horns or the 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 word used, it could mean radiance or horns. What Dr. Below does is talk about that and say, maybe it was left ambiguous because of some of these things. And, and one of the things being just this concept of the bull and the bull being this strong animal. Um, maybe there were there were different components. There's even ideas that the horns could have been on Moses's face, and that was part of it. Um, the, it could have been also that it was radiance beaming from 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 Moses's face. But the point is that something is happening when Moses is with is with God, and it kind of sets him apart and makes things quite awkward for other people because either there's horns or there's this radiance or it's kind of a mixture of both, and so it. While Moses is is close to God, it's separating him from from people, and so just that understanding of what what is happening here uh, for a while, I scoffed at these, you know, <clears throat> perhaps the the bad translation that Michelangelo had to to do the sculpture with horns on on Moses, but perhaps that was the the correct the correct uh, one, and, and this reading of it kind of gives more. Uh, it, it puts it better in context and, and makes it seem uh, more plausible. Let me read one uh, part here. Uh, I, I mentioned that this is the book I paired with the Enuma Elise. And so I, I mentioned the one thing before of the connection, but here's another one. Uh, that in this framework, the compiler place the overarching narrative of Genesis and Exodus from creation to the construction of sacred precincts in direct conversation with Enuma Elise. In doing so, the compiler also draw two specific comparisons, one between the Marduk and Yahweh and the other between Marduk's idol and Yahweh's idol, i.e. Moses, all of all of whom are represented in either literature or iconography as emanating radiance and displaying horns, end quote. So again, just this idea that this is in a response to what's going on, it's in, and it's also a response to the Enuma Elish. So are, are the authors of the Hebrew Bible, are they, are they actually referencing the Enuma Elish in a way, or are they, are they 
giving a different way to to view the stories that are in the Enuma Elish. As mentioned before, I just think that's a, a fascinating idea, and, and I love that, uh, that there's this dialogue going on. I want to end here with, with an important distinction. Uh, Mo, what Dr. Below says is that Moses never becomes God to Yahweh or to the people, the, to the children of Israel. Moses becomes God to Pharaoh, but, but not Moses doesn't become God to God or God to the people. And he remains human, but he's a human idol. So did you did you catch all that? <laughs> that was a lot, right? And, and it's quite an argument. Uh, it, it helped me piece a lot of the odd pieces of the puzzle together. And I, I, I recommend listening to that podcast episode where where Dr. Below is on there and and perhaps getting this book as well, just to to really dig deeper into these arguments. I found it fascinating. I I I hope I was able to share it in a in a way that that made sense or or um, got it got across the the main ideas, but it it's a lot I know, but it was really interesting and and I hope that made sense. So next segment here, segment three, I will get into the one thing, the my one key takeaway from from this book. If this is your first episode listening, uh, I do this one thing because it helps me to remember the books that I read. When I would try to remember a lot of things from a book, I would find that I would not remember any of those things. But if I tried to just remember one thing from a book, that would help me to re- to remember the book, but then also to remember other pieces that perhaps built that that one argument. So I know it sounds kind of counterintuitive to, you know, you, you spend all this time reading one book, why not try to remember a bunch of things? But if, if it's just, you know, going from memory and, and I see the book on the bookshelf, what's the one thing I, I want to remember? And so for, the, for this one, it, I think... It's going to have to be just this shift in the reading of the Moses story. I have heard it presented one way my entire life. I have read it that way my entire life. And so coming across a, a way of, of a new way of reading it, that doesn't negate the original way or diminish it in any way, but gives kind of a broader scope. And then also that this comes in my start of the great books in in kind of seeing this the these works that are that existed long before the bible was compiled and to then consider that the the writers of the bible may and and, and were responding to these items is is really exciting and it's a big shift in how i i view the bible in how i view what it's what it's the the purpose of some of the the books and some of the writings uh it's not just like you know this just came out of nowhere but hey this is what's going on culturally these are these are the other things the other ideas on tap here here is is how how it is viewed in the bible that again that's a big shift for me maybe that's how you've thought of it your whole life but uh it's kind of an exciting shift and and i i Look forward to just keep keep learning, uh, and then the fact too that there's so many of these tablets that have been uh, recovered from from these ancient civilizations that are sitting in museums and have not even been read yet, just from the sheer number of them and um, 
the, that, that scholars just haven't gotten to some of them. So what a time to be alive, you know, the, just this idea that we might learn more, that uh, we might get the full version of Gilgamesh. We might come across that someday, that, uh, that we might be, come across a text that is older than anything we've ever seen before. We might come across a new story, a new epic. That's really cool things. And then just to, to consider that these things, I mean, the, the comparison book that Amy Below was looking at to write this book only came out in a published format in 2001. It has only been around for 22 years. Just think of other books that might come out that that enhance readings of the Bible, that enhance readings of uh, ancient literature. That is just such a cool thing. So my one thing is just this shift in how I uh, will be approaching the story of Moses for the rest of my life. And, and just, I, you know, I can't re- wait to read through Exodus again. And, and with this in mind now, I think it's just going to be a re- really neat thing. Um, to recap, I, I love this. I, I, this is why I'm doing this project is to, is to see connection points like this. And so you've got with this one, you've got these texts from Babylon. You've got this idea of the opening of the mouth ceremony, which I kept reading about in Egypt. This provided a a whole other context to that. So, uh, and then I started off the year reading the Bible. So I've been in in Mesopotamia a a while now uh, for, for like the last month. Uh, part of that was with with Gilgamesh, reading Gilgamesh, but then in Hedewana, and then now I'm reading a book about Babylon. Uh, I just finished a book about Assyria. So I've, I've, I've been reading about this world, I've, hearing the ideas. And so to, to read this book, Moses Among the Idols, and and to see connection points with ancient Egypt, the the Bible, and then just the, the, the culture of Mesopotamia, and, and specifically Babylon— I love it. That that's that's why I'm doing this project to 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 see those connections. Um, yeah, I, I I recommend this book if this is of of interest to you. This this will this could perhaps change how you how you look at the the Moses story. And um, th- there's just a lot of great information in this book and, and a lot to think about. So I I, ha- I hope you'll you'll take a deep dive into this. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for sticking. If you're still listening, uh, thank you for sticking to the end in kind of a um, a a lot of information. Uh, if if you have read this book or if you have uh, to, if you'd like to share some ideas on on what you think of the content provided here, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at Eric which is with a K, so E-R-I-K, at booksoftitans.com. I'd love to hear what, uh, what you think of what has been presented or uh, a, a potential new reading of the story of Moses. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter, at Books of Titans. And you can also go to the website, booksoftitans.com. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter there. I send out one a month, just kind of give a, a recap of what I've been learning, what, what books are upcoming, and that sort of thing. So if you want to stay uh, up to date, I, I recommend signing up for that newsletter. So I'll be back in a couple weeks to discuss another book from this year's reading project. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. Thank you.